Hi, I'm Dr. Pam Peek, and welcome to episode 425 of Her, the podcast where you're going to hear the truth about her mind, her body, her life, and today, her honest aging. I want to know more about dishonest aging, but we're going to hear that one too. No question about it. And we have on a colleague and hopefully a friend too, Dr. Roseanne Leipzig, who is literally one of the world's renowned gerontologists and has finally written the book. And Roseanne, welcome to the Her Podcast. Thank you very much, Pam. It's great to be here. All right. So I can't wait to leap in here. But first, I got to tell you, we have this fantastic episode coming up because we have a sponsor, and our sponsor is Solaray Vitamins. And that's because as women, you know how it goes. We all have those little ovaries churning inside of us, whether they work or not. And we tried desperately to get in all of our little veggies and our fruits and everything. And you know, I'm an expert on the topic. It happens about 50% of the time if we're lucky. So just to make sure we're kind of covering our bases, how about that multivitamin? Just kind of saying. So run on over to solarray.com and scope it out. The liposomal covered multivitamins especially. And here's your first reminder before we begin to know that when we're done with this episode, click on iTunes and rate and review the show because your feedback is platinum to us. We just love to hear from you. We just sit around waiting for that. That's what we do all day long. Just saying. Okay. So it's time for her. Her, the podcast, the naked truth about women, her mind, her body, her life. It's all about her. Ah, so I see this fantastic new book has come out. It's called Honest Aging. Honest Aging, an insider's guide. I like the insider part. The insider's guide to the second half of life. Okay, I fell out of my chair and I said, gotta get her on the show. And of course, it's my marvelous colleague, Dr. Roseanne Leipzig. And she is oh, internationally recognized in the field of geriatrics. It's a trailblazer in transforming the way we approach aging individually and as a society. Thank God someone's trying to help us through this. In her 40-plus year career, I'm just exhausted, she has treated thousands of patients and trained hundreds of doctors and practitioners in all specialties of medicine. Oh my goodness gracious, I could just go on and on. We're going to come back to this in a moment. All I can tell you is that you are now talking to a goddess in this field, and we just want to be able to squeeze you dry for every single ounce of information because we're all sitting around going, you know, this aging thing, it's like, uh you know, people are throwing lotions and potions at us and shaming us for looking different or whatever the issue may be. This is just like, no. So Roseanne, why did you write this book? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's kind of like what you were just saying. As soon as somebody hears that I'm a geriatrician, they have questions. It's like if I'm sitting next to them on the plane, if I'm at a cocktail party, it's I've got this thing, you know, I got a pot belly. 
what does it mean? Am I starting to develop dementia? There's so many things that change with aging, and yet many people and care providers don't recognize that these changes are to be expected. They happen to most people as they get older. And so I wrote the book kind of to be, you know, the book on pregnancy, what to expect when you're expecting. Mm-hmm. That's what I was trying to do ah. for aging. Okay. Because my feeling is if you know what's coming and you have a sense of what you might be able to do now with your new normal, you can really be empowered to have the best old age possible. Okay. So, well, thank you for that. (laughs) Because I'm going to tell you, there's so much junk out there. All you have to do is hit Google. And and if if you're not confused in about five minutes, then you haven't read all the crazy stuff I have. And it's difficult to wade through, especially when people literally are being led by fear. You don't want to look like that. You don't want to come off like that. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, it does make sense to me. I think probably the biggest thing we can do to change our world is to get people to recognize how lucky we are. We will likely have 20 to 40 years after the kids are out, the job is done, to do whatever. This is unprecedented. Remember, in 1900, life expectancy was 47. So I think we need to get over it. And we there's a woman named Becca Levy, who I hope at some point you have on your show because she's wonderful. And she talks a lot and has done a lot of work on negative stereotypes of aging, which we all have. We're prejudiced against our future selves, which is pretty amazing because if you're lucky, you will grow to be old. But you take those feelings about being old with you, and that's where the problem is. And her studies have shown that those people who have negative perceptions of aging do worse on things. Not only do they live shorter, but they do worse on things that I consider to be objective tests like memory, hearing, okay, because they don't think they can do as well. So I think it's really important for us to recognize that this is an extraordinary time of our lives. And is an extraordinary time in history. Yes. Per se. So why did you call it honest aging? Why not just aging? <laughs> now, here's the second half of your life and knock yourself out. You know, why honest? I still want to know what dishonest aging looks like. <laughs> well, I'm going to talk to you about that in a second. But the reason I didn't just call it aging is that no publisher wants a book called aging. I know. It's a downer. Yep. It's a downer. It's a downer. The word is a downer. So, you know, dishonest is maybe that's not the right word, but deceptive, fanciful, unrealistic. I mean, I think that's out there in so many ways. Books like, and it's not the specific books, but the titles are things like Age Backwards, Forever Young, How to Be 10 Years Younger. In fact, I had a publisher who said to me, if that were the title of your book, I'd publish it. And this morning in the online New York Times, Gail Collins had had a uh, op-ed column where she talked about 90 being the new 60. And... 90 isn't 60, okay? There are things that are going to happen as you get older, regardless of how fit you are. They're just going to happen because they're a part of aging in our culture at this moment. So you're going to walk more slowly. You're going to get up at night to urinate, even though you never used to. You're going to be a lighter sleeper. You're going to have those senior moments. So I think those are the things we need to recognize. That's okay. That's what happens. And I need to figure out how I can arrange my life so it doesn't bother me. 
and I can go on and do what I've come to think of as to get an enjoyable, engaged, and meaningful life. To me, that's the goal. Interesting. I love those titles because I've seen every one of them. Forever Young. I'm like, really? Seriously? I think what happens too is that the supermodels are now turning, they're in their 60s now. And all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, Cheryl Teague is how old? And there she is kind of, you know, dancing around doing her thing. But, you know, then they say, well, I can look like that. Gwyneth Paltrow just hit 50. So, you know, like, oh, of course, all I need is $250 million, which is what she's worth. And then I'm more than happy to have someone else, you know, grease me up every day and do whatever the crazy stuff is. But even Gwyneth is having her symptoms of menopause yeah, and perimenopause. You cannot escape it no matter what you do. This whole issue of aging, it's like I feel to a certain degree that what's happening out there in the culture is a, a little bit of a battle going on. There's still all these people saying you could be, you know, young forever. And so people are spending a lot of money to be able to do, you know, like physical improvements. And also, I guess, also internal. And, you know, they're doing this and that. These are people who are early adopters, who are running big companies, who want to explore all of this. That's all very interesting it seems to me that many of them are led by fear. Like, what are you fearing here? So you drop some hair from your head. And I, sure, you can do PRP on your scalp and all the rest of it. But, you know, $2,000 a hit, that's for you if you can afford it. There seems to be this running away from this versus there's another crew that basically just succumbs. They're like, mm, yeah. I'm just going to kind of fall apart. And that's what I'm going to do. And then there's a group in the middle. <laughs> exactly. And that's who I want to be. That's the one. <laughs> so you don't want to, as it were, give up. Right. At, in, at any point in your life, I don't care if it's your second half or your first half. Yep. You don't give up. That's like a no-no. So we we all agree. We don't have to become like crazy early adopters spending half their career trying to figure out how to age backwards by a year. What about the nice people in between? I like, I like your crowd, Roseanne. <laughs> I think we're, we're seeing more of the nice people in between. In one respect, in several respects, somebody like Jane Fonda is a role model for me. Grace and Frankie, I mean, they put it all out there. I could use that as a course in geriatrics, okay, and how to get through it and enjoyably, whether it's getting across the street with the lights, okay, which don't let you go that fast, and getting people to be aware that this is what's going on. And if we're going to have all these older people, we've got to adapt our society as well as ourselves to make it possible to do this. There was a line that Grace had in Grace and Frankie, something about, I don't want anybody to know I'm 80 because they're going to look at me funny. Their expectations are going to be different. And I think that's what we all fear. Well, I mean, to a certain degree, she's right. Yeah. There's like a bad rep here. Once you're 80, it's like, oh, the E word shows up, elderly. You know, <laughs> you know you're an elder. What is that? Is that so horrible? It's interesting. People hate the word. There have been studies done looking at this. They don't like any word for being older. The best words they like are like older adult, okay? You can't get more vanilla than that. 
But I think what they're talking about is their fear of what's going to happen and of losing control. I think those are the big things that happen as you think about getting older. And it's interesting because there have been studies that have looked at people who are 85 and older. I do this as a part of a talk that I give, and I ask people to put down what they think is the answer to the percent of people 85 and older who say their health is excellent or really good. Okay. And then I tell them the answer is 70%. What percent of these people are going to be frail? It's only 25%. What percent are living in nursing homes? It's somewhere 13 to 15%. As you look at these things, it's much worse in our minds than it is in reality. And it's been getting better. In some ways, 90 isn't the new 60, but in some ways, I'm certainly a much healthier 72-year-old than my grandmother was. And I think that's the way to think about it, that we are doing things to enable us to enjoy what it is we like out of life and to contribute, to continue contributing throughout our lives. And that's much more important than how you look. (laughs) Well, I, I think what you're doing is a great service because you're redefining the narrative The narrative for so long has been, you know, silly caricatures and cartoons and sitcoms, and it just never worked for me. I always felt like those were ridiculous and very damaging to this demographic. And it's ageism was one of those acceptable ways to discriminate. It was it was okay, you know. Come on now, and and back and forth. Although I remember a Wall Street Journal, (laughs) a Wall Street Journal piece that came out right in the beginning of the. when the vaccine started showing up for the uh, COVID epidemic and I forgot her name. Um, she was a riot. I had her on the show cause I immediately grabbed her. And this is what she said. Excuse me. I'm 63 years old and the CDC called me elderly. And because I'm elderly, I'm in a different risk category. Meanwhile, she's a surfer, a triathlete. She's done Ironman. I mean, she's like, excuse me? No, you know, I'm rejecting this. And the reason why she was laughing so hard was because she lived in New York and her children, who are young adults, called her immediately once they read all this stuff. And and they said, oh my God, you're at huge risk because you're elderly. (laughs) And she flipped out. She goes, number one, I am not elderly. <laughs> number two, I'm I'm extremely healthy and blah, blah, blah. So that got a lot of people thinking, including me. It's like, wait a minute, who's calling who what? Who's defining this narrative? Come on now. Well, and the other thing is we're dealing, we use chronologic age. And chronologic age doesn't tell you anything. Geriatricians always say, if you've seen one 80-year-old, you've seen one 80-year-old. Okay. The diversity, the variability in what people are able to do and how they're able to resist illness is so great that it's really more important to start thinking about the biologic aging than the chronologic to figure out what makes sense for you. I absolutely love that. I'm on the board of the uh, Senior Olympics. This is the National Senior Games. And so you can't join unless you're 50. So this is for the other half of your life. We have all kinds of wild and crazy people who show up at the front door. You know, people who really have never really done a whole lot, but now it's time to 
do something exciting and adventuresome. Other people who are masters athletes who are now moving into a different age class and other people just want to show up and just basically have a ball doing everything from pickleball to actually racing. I am a senior Olympic triathlete, so I do the triathlon in addition to some master swimming and things like this. I'm also on the board of the American College of Sports Medicine. And one of my colleagues there, Ulrich Wisloff, who is Norway, has runs a huge, huge exercise lab there, put together something everyone should do. And it is on the web. It's called the Fitness Age. And anyone could do this. You could just, you know, Google fitness age and then just do the few things they ask you to do, you know, like a waist measurement and some other really simple stuff. I decided to do it. It was very interesting. You know, I thought this is fascinating. So I asked Ulrich, I said, hey, you want to do this with this year's people who have made it through the trials? We usually get about 11,000 athletes for the senior games and I was going to be competing that year, I said, hey, what a great cohort. We in science, we're all about cohorts. So um, he said, heck to the yeah. And so we did it. The average age, the average chronological age of the senior Olympian is 68. The fitness age is a quarter of a century less. It's 25 years younger. And that was across the board. Now, these were for the real athletes, you know, the golfing and stuff. Oh, you know, but this is for, you know, track and field, swimming, triathlon, you know, the big guys. And it's 25 years that you shaved this off. We actually, Gretchen Reynolds and I published this in the New York Times because it was such an, it was like, what? And so there's an example of this made sense because these people work hard and they've many of them done it for decades and they have a very different foundation than an average person. But it is kind of interesting to see that. And that's why when you said an 80 year old, once you see one, you've seen one, you should have seen the focus. <laughs> I had a 90 year old doing the triathlon and she said, you know, Pam, this is the way it rolls. I'm showing up because I'm it. So I'm always going to get the gold. Your job in life, Pam, is to go ahead and just keep staying alive until there's only three of you left in your age class. <laughs> then you're all going to get a damn medal. You just battle it out by yourself. So <laughs> I love it. I love it. That is you know, that's the way I love it, you know. The thing that we are learning is that the only magic bullet for aging at this point is exercise. There's no question about it. You sleep better. Your mood is better. You're obviously, your muscle mass and strength are better. Your balance is better. Yeah, all of the things that people are worried about as they get older really improve with exercise. That's the one thing, if anybody's going to do anything, that they really need to do. And they don't have to be triathlon people. <laughs> no, well, not, not even close. You know, all of the work that Jim Hill, you know, at Alabama, he used to be at Colorado and the rest of them have done for years. A good friend. You know, what did they find? They found that it was walking, literally walking. I mean, hello, um, <laughs> it's walking and, and the walking thing just works. I have so many patients over the years who just clock in there four miles a day 
and you do it one mile here, two here, just finish it up. I'm not talking about some big marathon four-hour thing. If you want to do that, that's fine too. But really, at the end of the day, you've got to assume the vertical and keep it moving. It just what works. Now, there's something else. If you were to really think about just a few highlighted items that someone really should do throughout their life to prep themselves for the second half, because you know how we do it in America. We wait till the last damn minute and then we go, look, I've turned 50. Oh no. (laughs) What do I do now? So what would you say? One of my taglines has always been aging begins at birth. And there are things that when you're in your 30s, you've reached your peak and they're going to start going down. And so I think it's important to recognize that there are things that you should start doing even then. The biggest thing I would say is not necessarily exercise. It's more not being rigid. Ah, loosen up here a little bit. Learning to be a flexible person, okay? Because the thing that gets many people as they get older is what they didn't expect. They didn't see it coming, and it just throws them. And I get people in my office saying, never. I'm never going to a nursing home. I'm never using hearing aids. I'm never using a cane. And I keep saying to them, when you don't wear your hearing aids, you think you look smart, okay? You don't look old. And you don't look impaired. You don't look impaired. Besides the fact that if you walk down the street of New York, streets of New York and probably anywhere else, everybody's got something coming out of their ears. And it's all abnormal. Okay. I mean, it's just a part of life. But it really, these are the sorts of things that we're realizing can allow you to have the life you want, to participate in the things that you want. So really giving things a chance. And with my patients, I do a lot of time-limited trials. I don't want to try that medication. I don't want to do that. Fine. It's not forever. Let's start. Let's see what happens. If it doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for you. And if it does, maybe something good will happen. You know, so I think being able to be adaptable, creative, flexible is number one on the list. Okay. Okay. So what else would you have on the list? Number two, get outside every day. (laughs) Get that sun. All right. It's really everybody got scared of sun. And there's reason to be scared of sun in great amounts and burning your skin and things like that. That's real. But you do so much better if you get some sun every day in terms of your mood, in terms of your sleep cycles. It really makes a difference. So I tell my patients to just go out without their sunglasses for 15 minutes. You're not going to get macular degeneration from 15 minutes a day. All right. And just let it come in and allow your circadian rhythm to get regularized. So that's the second thing I would say to people. The third is to have some form of exercise, whatever it is that you like doing. And the fourth is become as much of a people person as you can be. Because connection is really important. And as people get older, their circles decrease in size. People move away, they die, they develop illnesses. And some people are lonely. Some people live alone. And they're different in terms of the feelings. But in both cases, you're not socializing a lot. And I think during the pandemic, we really learned what a risk factor being alone is for people and being lonely is. 
And in some studies, it's as big a risk factor for mortality as heart disease, okay, as smoking, obesity, things like that. So I think it's really important that what I tell people is to try and get a network of folks of all ages into their lives. I'm all over that. It's called intergenerational. And I just think that that is absolutely the way to go. You've seen that new book from our friends at Harvard who have done the longitudinal study for 85 years, blah, blah, blah. One of the the number one finding from the update was the concept of social fitness. So we have physical fitness, mental fitness, spiritual fitness, but social fitness, to your point about connection, is literally more important when you really get down to it than whether you not you ran a marathon or not. It's irrelevant. That stuff's irrelevant. Social connection in the best of all worlds in an intergenerational way is priceless in its ability to help increase health span, which are the robust, vibrant years where you can kind of rock and roll not lifespan, because, you know, you live as long as you want to, but if you're miserable and all the rest of it, what's the point? It's health span that you want to play with more than anything else. But I love that concept of social fitness. I have patients who, when I talk to them about this, they say, well, what do I have to offer? Oh, God. And I look at them and I say, my God, you're a role model. Look at what you've done in your life, okay? You're here. That's right. I mean, come on now. No, you got 80 years of history. You've got wisdom that has come from all of this. You figured out ways to deal with the problems a lot of these people are just dealing with now for the first time. Let yourself go with that. I love that. That is just so golden. People don't understand their own worth. They don't get it. And the very fact, I mean, really at the end of the day, you're 80 and someone else isn't. So, you know, you've got a lot to be able to offer. It's so interesting. Sometimes you butt up against some of your own most amazing, I don't know, prejudices and and biases you don't even know you had. So I'll tell you a quick story. You're going to love this since we're both physicians. So I did my residency in internal medicine at GW, George Washington University. I was a junior resident. And I had all my minions, I'm just kidding, my little medical students and interns following me like I'm the mother rabbit. And so I I got a a call that there was an 80-year-old woman in the ER that was going to be admitted. So I had this snarky medical student, young man, sorry, but you were, come on now, tell them the truth, this is honest aging. So he was a bit snarky and, you know, he did the eye roll because he was up next for the admission you go, uh, like this. And I said, how much money you got on you? You know, he looked in his pockets and he came up with about 20 bucks. And I said, good. Okay. Well, I got $20 too. So I'm going to bet you this whole wad, you know, like we're going to figure out who's going to win that this woman, whoever she is, is going to be quite amazing. And he looked at me and he says, what are you talking about? It's an 80 year old like this just spit it out at me. It's an 80-year-old, you know, like that. And so I said, hmm, see, I knew something he didn't know. She came in from the water gate, and she came in with her caregiver. There's something going on with this chick. All right. So I don't know her from Adam. I didn't know her name, you know, whatever. So I said, go down to the ER, do the whole write-up, and as soon as she's up in the room, give the team a call, and we're going to come hustling on over. 
So we finally did. Long story short, we end up in the in a private room. The caregivers in the corner getting, you know, like there's a suitcase and whatever. And I come walking in the room. <laughs> and there's this woman who just has these eyes that are just amazing. She's energized. And she sits bolt upright and she's got this beautiful Einstein white hair. They're just flying all over the place. And she says, oh, how exciting. A woman doctor, you know, as I come walking in, I go, okay. Meanwhile, the snarky medical student is looking sheepish in the corner because he knew he just lost all of his money because he, when he figured out what was going on. So I, I sat down and I, you know, I said, well, aren't you amazing? And tell me your name and all the rest of it. And I can tell you the name because she has passed away and all the rest of it is a number of years ago. Her name was Blanche Noise, N-O-Y-E-S. You can look her up. She was one of the most famous of the early female aviators. She won the race to Cincinnati. So I'm like, oh my God, you know, because we have the Air and Space Museum here. I've been in there a million times. So long story short. So she says, listen, doctor. I got to get out of here by Saturday. This was Monday. She said, I have a plane to take to Cincinnati. And I said, oh, okay. Well, listen, you know, I I'm so sorry. We have a workup to do and whatever. I'm more than happy to write a note for you. In those days, you could do that. You know, write a little note dating myself horribly here. She says, for what? And I said, well, for the airline, you know, United or I don't know, I'll get you your money back on the flight and everything. She goes, no, 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 no. I'm going to be out of here. You are, are going to expedite everything. I said, but I could get a letter for the airline. She goes, no, no, you don't understand. I'm flying the plane. And I went, well, well what? <laughs> and I said, what the hell are you flying? She goes, oh, it's a blah, blah, Beechcraft something. I don't know, whatever. Wow. And <laughs> sure to form, you have never seen me work faster in your life, honey. I was like sitting down in lab going, okay, now crank these labs quickly and all the rest. And we got her out on Friday and she flew. Why? Because she got a huge award on the end, on like the blah, blah anniversary of the decades ago when she, when she won the race and back and forth. That was it. Wow. I will never look at another 80-year-old the same. I was like, oh, my God. It was just crazy. And then the stories, we'd sit on her bed. She'd go, now, come, come here. Sit here. You know, like, I'm not supposed to be sitting there. I'm a resident. No, sit there. Sit here. I'm going to tell you about Amelia Earhart. And I knew her so well. You know, on and on. I mean, this is why, to your point, you probably have a million stories like this. We all do if we're blessed enough to know incredibly wonderful people. And ask the right questions. <laughs> yeah. Just redefine the narrative and really stop this crazy ageism that is rampant in this society, which is sort of more youth-oriented. I mean, well, and it's also setting up a competition that is unnecessary. There are things that younger people need. There are things that older people need. We don't have to be in competition for everything. This whole thing of Biden being too old, I'm not going to get into that, but from an age point of view, yeah, he's going to walk more slowly. I mean, that's what happens when you get into those age. But he's got a lot of wisdom, too. So it depends on whether you agree with what he's got to offer. 
And if there's somebody else you want to vote for more, but it's not simply his age. Yeah. I mean, you know, I look at uh, Warren Buffett. Yes, absolutely. Come on now. You know, it's like, <laughs> what is he? Is he like 90 something? I mean, amazing. And he's still rocking and rolling on Wall Street. I really think that what one of the wonderful things that I love about your book, Honest Aging, this insider's guide, because you're an insider, you're there to the second half of life, is this whole issue of, as you said, I get one of the subtitles here is take control of your health and well-being because you can take control. How many times, come on now, you and I have heard this, it's too late. I'm 63 and I've been a train wreck for 63 years. So, you know, we can't turn this sucker around. What do you say? I say the horse isn't out of the barn. There is always something. And there are things that we accept as quote unquote normal aging. And they happen to a lot of people. There's no question about it. But what's neat about a lot of these things is they're not due to just one problem. They're due to several different factors. And you can tweak these little factors and do a whole lot better. You may not be cured, but you're going to be doing a lot better than you were before. You just have to mention it to somebody who knows something about it and helps you work with it. Yeah. And and in my mind, I've seen so many transformations. I don't mean stupid, silly stuff, you know, you find on TikTok. I'm saying people really can transform. They can transform their nutritional intake. They can transform their physical activity. I don't even use the E word here, physical activity. They can transform spiritually. They can transform in terms of careers. And and when I wrote the book, Fit to Live, one of the people I, I spoke to is my dear friend, Ken Cooper at the Cooper Institute. And he, he and I were talking and, and I said, boy, you know, Ken, you just totally rock, you know, at your age and you're doing all these great things back and forth. I said, what is your feeling about this word retirement? Now I'm going to throw this one at you, Roseanne. What do you think about the word retirement? He goes in his Texas drawl, he goes, Pam, Pam, listen, I, I'll never use that word. And I said, well, what, what word do you use? He said, refirement. You just keep refiring. <laughs> now you may refire as a poet. You may refire as an artist. You may refire, you know, as someone who set up a daycare center. I don't know, a farmer. You read about this all the time. People just move into the next thing. But, you know, and that's another weird kind of a stereotype about, as it were, moving on out of that big job you had for many years. And that is, um, what do you do? Sit around and then you die. Right. <laughs> And I have had patients who have come in, one not that long ago, who was so upset about his retirement, he didn't know what to do. He was, you know, ready to jump off a roof. And I said, when did you retire? He said, six weeks ago. I was like, what did you expect? You knew for how long that you were going to be doing something different. We have to plan. We plan for what college we're going to go to, for what we're going to do with our lives, for the kids, hopefully, you know? So how about this long period of time that you're going to have a chance to do things you couldn't do before? I feel like people just stumble into that phase. It's like, oh, I'm here. Oh, hell, what do I do? Exactly. What's up with that? You know, and this is why, like, the Wall Street Journal and other groups, 
they have these lovely columns now, like, what do you do? How do you prep for? How do you think about doing this with or without a partner in your life? You know, sometimes people may not have anybody and they're just doing this kind of on their own and all the rest of it. So there's that. One last thing I really want to touch on that just, oh, it's like a little thorn. And that's, you mentioned it a little bit earlier. And that is that there are a lot of people who are boomers, you know, and people who are aging and whatever, who don't have kids, who may not have a partner. And are we creating communities, as it were, networks to be able to help support one another if you happen to be in that kind of situation? Because I'm seeing an epidemic of loneliness coming up here. And to your point, I think scientific studies have shown that, you know, if you are truly lonely, like hardcore lonely, it's worse than smoking 20 cigarettes a day in terms of health de deterioration. So what you're talking about is what we as a society have to deal with. If you take a look at what's happening just in terms of the number of young people and the number of old people. In, I think, 2034, which is what, 12 years from now, 13, 11 years from now, we're going to have more people who are over 65 than under 18. That poor sandwich generation is going to have a really hard time. And I think we need to start doing something that's not just here and there. So there are Programs like Boston has this wonderful villages program, very different than the villages in Florida, okay, where it's really help each other out, pay forward, okay, take people to the doctor, those sorts of things that I think we need to do in a much more concerted, systematic way. There was an article the other day talking about people who don't get cataract surgeries or colonoscopies because they don't have somebody to be their escort. That's correct. And then who's going to put the drops in right. with the cataracts? Exactly. And, you know, you look at it and you say, it's time for Medicare to reframe a little bit. You think? Yeah. There you go. Take some of that money that you're giving the anesthesiologist and the GI guy and the eye surgeon. Take a hundred bucks and pay somebody to come with you, okay, to be your escort to do this. I mean, there are ways that we could deal with this if we start thinking about it instead of this. There was another thing in the, I do a lot of reading the paper in the morning. <laughs> and uh, yesterday, about 12 older people in the Times and asking them a whole bunch of questions. And one was, how important is it to you that you live out your life in your home? And three quarters of people said it was as important as it could be. And when you think about that, think about what it will take to make that happen. It's impossible at the moment. We have to totally revamp our social system to be able to do that, especially if we care about providing a living wage for home care workers. Which is another issue. You know, there are just so many layers of all of this that we have to address on a public policy level that is just sort of slowly but surely creeping forward and not fast enough because, to your point, the numbers, this population is huge and their needs are great. And if you don't help with them, they're going to end up costing even more money 
right? Absolutely. All right. To Medicare and the insurance companies, you sit down and you do a cost benefit analysis and say, now, just a minute now, if this person is able to get these cataracts taken care of, they can actually see where they're going. And so they won't fall and end up costing $100,000 or die. Come on now. Um, It's simple math here. I also think we need to have greater social connection in general. What happened with knowing the guy who lives next door? This is like a new radical concept all across because we're so mobile and in the urban areas, especially and, and back and forth. Suburban areas can be incredibly lonely. You know, they're dead quiet. And, uh, you know, so we just need a way to be able to deal with this loneliness and also the support when people don't have someone to take care of them. Gosh, you know, I could talk to you forever. I mean, it's just becoming quite clear that we're out of control by now, you and I. (laughs) Oh my goodness, everyone out there, you really need to get this book. If you happen to be 30, give it to somebody who's 50 and over, because by definition, someone in your life is like that, because they're going to need a heads up. They're going to need a way to be able to positively, productively reframe what that second half of life actually looks like. This book is absolutely fabulous. It's called Honest Aging. The only reason that I remember that title is I just keep calling it Dishonest Aging. That's how I remember it. It's the way my mind is working these days. So Honest Aging, an insider's guide to the second half of life. Take control of your health and well-being by my wonderful friend and colleague, Dr. Roseanne Leipzig. A world-class gerontologist tells the truth, and here's the part that I think I love. You have street creds because you're 72 for crying out loud. It's not like you're some 40-year-old going, well, let me just think about what it might feel like you know, if I was 70. No, I, I'm not going to listen to some 40-year-old, with all due respect, the 40-year-olds out there. I'm just saying, you're 72, they're not, and I'm going to believe you because you're living it, you're thriving, and with your level of expertise, you're sharing this wealth of knowledge to be able to help so many other people also pick up that banner and push forward to have a a very robust health span. How's that sound? That sounds great. It takes a village. (laughs) Okay, we're back to the Tam Villages again. (laughs) Oh my goodness gracious. So you heard the book. And if you want to know more about Roseanne's fantastic work, just go to her website, Roseanne. I'm going to spell that R-O-S-A-N-N-E-M-D dot com. And again, the book is Honest Aging, an insider's guide to the second half of life. Roseanne, thank you so much for being on the Herb Podcast. Would you be on this again in the future if I threatened you with yet another episode? I would love it. This has been great. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's just the only time two busy physicians can ever find it, you know, hang out and have a good time. And with uh, thousands of people listening, but that's okay too. But there it is. All right, Roseanne. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And everyone out there, run on over to iTunes. Just run right now. I hear the little tapping of all of your shoes on the floor and rate and review the show because I want to hear from you. And another major shout out to our sponsor, Solaray Vitamins. Come on now, multivite time. You know what I'm talking about. Look in my eyes. Oh, that's right. You can't even see me. Well, 
There you have it. Look in my eyes anyway. I'm Dr. Pam Peek, host of the Her Podcast. Follow me on Facebook at Dr. Pam Peek or Twitter and Instagram at Pam Peek MD. And remember to catch every single episode of the Her Podcast on Radio MD, on iTunes, on Spotify, on all those crazy platforms that are floating around out there. Thanks for showing up, everyone. Stay safe and stay well.